Here we are, friends, with a new episode and two days in a row. Today was Elul 2, and we are beginning this evening, Elul 3, on Footsteps of Messiah. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're going to talk tonight briefly as we're doing these 30 daily episodes in a row during the month of Elul. Tonight, I'm going to talk about 12 Elul facts everybody should know. So we'll get started. God, King of the Universe, who commands us with your mitzvot and commands us regarding the engagement and Torah study. So, I'm going to go over 12 Elul facts that everybody should know. Number one, Elul is the final month on the calendar. So, Elul is the 12th month on the Jewish calendar, but it's the sixth month counting from Nisan. It always has 29 days, and it ends on the same day of the week that it began. So in this instance, it started on a Sunday, it'll end on a Sunday, and that's why Rosh Hashanah is going to be a Sunday night this year. Uh, It can only begin based on the calibration and the algorithms put together with the uh, construction of the calendar to be fixed dates for probably several hundred years. Still need to research what that date was and when that happened, so we'll do an episode on that this month, God willing. But it can only begin on Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. So you have Rosh Hashanah only beginning on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday. Or you know, many times Rosh Hashanah falls on a Friday night, uh, falls on Shabbat. So uh, that ensures that the holidays in the subsequent, subsequent month will fall on their proper days. And there's an additional article here that I won't have time to get into called Why Can't Yom Kippur Begin on Saturday, but it can fall on Shabbat. All right. It's when the king is in the field. Elul is when we approach the high holidays with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, as well as Sukkot later. But the high holidays are considered Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We prepare for these holidays during Elul. And in Hasidic tradition, for instance, it's said that during this month, the king, the Lord, God, Adonai, Hashem, is in the field, smiling and accessible to all. And this year, thinking about this concept, I was wondering, so on Av 30, I wonder what Hashem is doing. Is he taking off his regal and royal robes and putting on more common and agricultural, you know, field clothes, like clothes to where he's going to be more comfortable with the people in the towns and in the city and in the land, because uh, it doesn't seem quite appropriate that he would wear his royal garb that he wears in the, t- in the temple, in his palace, when he comes to visit us um, in the, you know, more common region, uh, outside the temple. Anyway, just a thought I had this year. So on the other hand, once the holidays are upon us, God is, so to speak, back in his palace. The experience during the holidays is that much more powerful and majestic. But now is the time when anyone can approach God with their request. It's a time for introspection, point number three. So it's said that every righteous person who toils in the study of the Torah and in prayerful service in the heart, senses the aspect of being him that derives from the soul knowing him. Interesting. I'll read that again. Every righteous person who toils in the study of Torah and in prayerful service in the heart 
senses the aspect of being him that derives from the soul knowing him. After the Jewish people sinned with the golden calf, Moshe spent this entire month and the following 10 days until Yom Kippur obtaining a second set of tablets along with Hashem's full forgiveness. This time period is therefore an especial potent time, P-O-T-E-N-T, potent time for us to come closer to God. Dedicate time to Cheshbon HaNefesh, the accounting of your soul, taking stock of your activities, thoughts, and conversations of the past year. Where have you improved and where do you still need to improve? Think honestly and deeply and you'll have a running start when Rosh Hashanah comes around. So, we say slichot, point number four. We say slichot this month. What are slichot? Slichot literally means in Hebrew, forgivenesses. They're special prayers or piyutim. Piyutim are liturgical prayers said on fast days and during this season. The highlight of the slichot is the recitation of the 13 attributes of mercy. The formula that God gave Moshe for securing divine forgiveness. The Sephardim Sepharadim began at the start of the month of Elul and finished 40 days later on Yom Kippur. The Ashkenazic tradition begins saying Slichot several days before Rosh Hashanah, always on a Saturday night. The name Elul is laden with significance. All right. So the month is first referred to as Elul in Nehemiah 6.15 where we read that the wall around Yerushalayim was completed on the 25th day of the month. So, interesting fact is that this also is the day when the creation of the world began, ending six days later on Tishri 1. So, uh, in much of Jewish tradition, it's believed that the day man was created was, I believe, Tishri 1, but creation actually started six days prior to Tishri The four letters of Elul are said to be an acronym for this verse from Song of Solomon, Ani Lidodi Vedodi Li. Sorry, Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed. I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. Expressing the closeness that we experience with God during this time. That's Song of Songs 6 verse 3. It's also an acronym for, and I hope I read this correctly because I'm reading it without vowels, Ana Lido Vasamti Lach or Lecha. And then it has in parentheses, Makom, and then more Hebrew that has no vowels. So I'm thinking it might be Va'asher Lo Tzadeh Vaha Elohim. But one who did not stalk him but God brought it about into his hand. I will make for you a place to which he shall flee. Now this verse is from Exodus Shemot twenty-one thirteen, And this verse is referring to the city of refuge. Now in biblical times, six cities in the land of Israel were designated as cities of refuge. A person who accidentally killed someone could find safe haven there from avenging relatives. And I believe that's from the Torah portion, Matot Ma'aseh, and it talking about the Goel Hadam, the avenger of the blood. 
Now that's where one who had inadvertently killed could find safety and it encapsulates the refuge that God provides us all when we seek to rectify our past misdeeds. Now, Yeshua says in, I believe it's Matthew 5, I could be mistaken there, I have to check that for you, that if if you even sin in your heart, if you want to if you hate somebody you've already committed murder if you look at a person with lust you've already committed adultery if you um, think about robbing somebody or taking what's not yours you've already committed theft you've already become a thief thief so the heart is sick above all things i believe it says in proverbs and therefore the the idea is that all of us should be avenged by a blood avenger because we've all committed murder. We've all committed heinous things. We've all committed pretty much every sin because they're all in the depths of the heart of man. I believe in Ecclesiastes, it says that insanity dwells in the heart of man, but it also says eternity dwells within the heart of man. So which is it? Which which is it? Well, I think it's both. They battle. One is the Yetzir Hara. One is the Yetzir Hatov. One is the spirit that's given by God and is pure and perfect if it's alive. And one is, the, the other force is the flesh, which there's nothing that Yeshua says, the flesh profits nothing. So, therefore, let's go back to the next point and keep going with our Elul bullet points. So this month's sign is Virgo. Uh, Zodiac means circle of animals. Uh, Astrology, not fortune telling, but uh, biblical astrology, seeking understanding from the constellations and the pictures they form and the different symbols that they are uh, are showing in in the sky. Uh, actually shows the whole plan of redemption. So biblical astronomy and astrology are not bad because uh, Jews don't believe in fortune telling. It's actually forbidden. But you can discover your tikkun, your correction, and your weak points and your strong points by understanding how the constellations and the sun and the moon in their order affect your your biology is just like we know that the moon affects the earth and we're 75% water. So we're also affected by these things. Um, and, and if you interview or talk to enough people who are, let's say, uh, under the sign of Gemini or under the sign of Virgo or under the sign of Leo, you start to find these, these trends, these co- not, not coincidences, but the similarities. Um, so uh, these people generally know that they have these strengths, like a, a Leo tends to be the life of the party, wants to be in front of a stage and a microphone and talking to people, but often they forget little things and they may not remember um, the, the individual over the collective whole. Uh, just one example, one very brief example. Um, so this month's sign is Virgo, known in Hebrew as Betulah. That is the maiden or the virgin. This month's horoscope sign is an emblematic of the order of the day, coming close to God. During this month, we are empowered to reach deep into ourselves and tap into that which is pure and godly. Unsullied by the crassness of our surroundings, this is typified by the Betula, who is untainted by sin. So I've wanted to look up the definition of horoscope, astronomy, astrology, and... Zodiac. I know Zodiac means circle of animals, like I said. 
Let's find out where horoscope comes from. Okay. A forecast of a person's future, typically including a delineation of character and circumstances based on the relative positions of the stars and planets at the time of that person's birth. A birth chart or a short forecast for people born under a particular sign. Well, we don't believe in that, published in News or Magazine, because that's fortune telling. And even this beginning of this definition, a forecast of a person's future, well, I don't necessarily believe in that because I believe in free will and that you have a choice. So really what we're looking for is what does the name horoscope mean? All right, the word horoscope is derived from the Greek words aura and skopos, meaning time observer. Okay, so horoscope truly means observer of time or time observer. Also means markers of the hour. So it's used as a method of, of uh, regarding events relating to a point in time that represents and forms the basis of the astrological traditions. So astro and logos are the roots of the word astrology. So let's take a look at that. Etymology. Sorry, I didn't have this ready for you, friends. I didn't actually think I was going to do all this. So um, the, okay, so pertaining, uh, let's see, astrology, astrological, astrological, okay. Maybe we'll get this here. All right. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't find the same the same roots in the Greek, but um, maybe this will do it. Merriam-Webster. Okay, definition of astrology. Uh, the supposed influences of the stars and planets on human affairs and terrestrial events by their positions and aspects. Uh, difference between astronomy and astrology. Some may find it easy to confuse astronomy and astrology. It, at one time, these words were actually synonymous. That is, astronomy once meant what astrology means today, but they have since moved apart from each other. In current use, astronomy is concerned with the study of objects and matter outside the Earth's atmosphere, while astrology is how stars and planets influence our lives. Put bluntly, astronomy is a science and astrology is not, according to Merriam-Webster. So still looking for the Greek roots, but, oh, here it is. Um, from the Latin, astrologia. So aster, which I believe means space, and logia, or logi, which means study. So I believe it's simply study of space and the influences that it has on our lives, which astronomy is certainly not. It's simply science. All right, friends, so... Moving back to our original text, we hear the show for every day in the month of Elul. You may be surprised to learn that it's not only on Rosh Hashanah that we blow the shofar. Every day of the month of Elul, besides for Shabbat and the day before Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar after morning services. The soul-stirring shofar blasts inspire us to come closer to God. As we read, shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid. Okay, look, you can probably already tell that I don't like looking or quoting scripture without finding where it is. So that is from Amos, Amos 3, 6. Shall the trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall evil befall a city and Adonai has not done it? So that's Amos 3, 6. Just want to give you that reference. And the reason that we don't blow the shofar on Shabbat is because of the halakha regarding carrying a shofar on Shabbat. So we can delve into that another time or you can look that up on your own if you wish. The, uh, I always think it's funny when people say that because of course you're going to look it up 
on your own if you wish. And if you don't wish, you're not going to look it up. So we blow the shofar, or we refrain from blowing the shofar the day before Rosh Hashanah so that there's a resistance, a gap, and there's a yearning to hear it again. So it doesn't, it, it's not like, it, it's become so common during Elul. Well, I hate to say that, but you get used to it, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to blow the shofar again. And it goes for, you know, 30 days minus the Shabbats during Elul. So you want there to be like this anticipation, excitement, expectation during the Rosh Hashanah service, so you don't want to hear it uh, for 24 hours prior to Rosh Hashanah, um, which is why you don't blow it the day before Rosh Hashanah on Elul 29. So, uh, point number eight, we wish each other a sweet year, Lashana Tova, and words have power. So when signing off letters or ending phone calls and conversations, we wish each other Ketiva V'chatima Tova, to be written and sealed for good in the book of life. The 21st century iteration of this practice would probably be to set this as your email signature and say your WhatsApp status and your Facebook profile, or, or say that in your, in your status uh, on social media. So we say Psalm 27 twice a day. So after the morning and afternoon in some communities, evening prayers, we recite Psalm 27, which begins with the words, to David, le David, Adonai Uri Vayishi, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So the Kabbalist Rabbi Binyamin Benish Cohen, who lived 1553 to 1438 BCE, he wrote in 1706 that one who recites this psalm in a state of holiness, purity, and great concentration will have his prayers answered, and that it has the power to nullify divine decrees. So we actually continue this practice all the way until Hoshana Rabbah, the seventh day, or the final day of Sukkot. So this is done for a total of 51 days. Some, including Chabad and Orthodox communities, begin on the first day of Rosh Chodesh Elul. Others begin one day after, and therefore one day later end as well, so they end on Shemini Atzeret. And uh, in this week, I'll talk about something that I felt that, that was very interesting about this process from Elul 1 all the way to Shemini Atzeret taking 52 days because they're 52 weeks in a year. And I believe that we're planting seeds of, of wholeness, of righteousness, and of, of forethought of being as spiritual as we can this coming year and finding the greatest divine blessing possible from the Lord and finding all of the things we need to clean up so that we start this 52-day process and go through this 50-day process to prepare ourselves for the 52 weeks ahead. And each day is like at the seed level of what we're going to plant for each of the following 52 weeks, starting in 5783, the new year that's approaching in 27 days, or 26 days. So, the Baal Shem Tov instituted three more chapters. The Baal Shem Tov instituted the custom of reciting three additional chapters of Psalms each day from the first of Elul until Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, the remaining 36 chapters are recited, thereby completing the entire book of Psalms. And the, each chapter is... Uh, so I think what he's saying, I'm not sure how this works because I've never done it, but um, you, you recite three chapters and then you continue, you know, and you, you don't recite the same three chapters every day. You're working your way through the book of Psalms 
is what I believe he's saying, so that you finish by Yom Kippur. This is also a time to get tefillin and mezuzahs checked. Elul is a time to increase and improve our mitzvah observance. Many people have the custom to have a scribe inspect tefillin and mezuzahs during this time to ensure their kosher status. Now, the Chabad Rebbe, Menachem Schneerson, uh, Zayin Lamed, wrote that this practice is worthwhile and very appropriate for everyone to publicize So, because it promotes others to do the same. So if you're not sure where to find a scribe, you can ask your local rabbi or call a Chabad center, for instance. They know where the scribes are. Uh, or, you know, obviously you could probably search and find them online nowadays. The new study season begins in Elul. So yeshiva, yeshivot or yeshivas, uh, Jewish schools, typically divide the academic year into several zmanim, trimesters, lasting just until the high holidays. Elul Zaman is the shortest of the trimesters. The others last from between Sukkot to Pesach and from Pesach to the summer. Yet it is extremely significant. This is the time when a student becomes acclimated, acquires Chavruta, study partners, and prepares for a successful year of learning and personal growth. So the next time we'll see you, hopefully God willing, will be tomorrow. And may you be blessed and encouraged, and may you find the light of the Lord, Adonai, Uri Vayishi, the Lord is my light and salvation during this time, and repentance in all that you need. And just remember, every day is a step up the ladder, so go forward, don't go back, go up, and don't go down, unless you're going down to give somebody a hand and bring them up. Shalom, friends, and may Yeshua be your Messiah, now and forever. Amen and amen. Shalom.